Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. I am joined with two men. One is a good friend, Randy Nickel, and Randy introduced me to a very first-time author, Kelton Anderson, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know Kelton, and he just um, wrote his first book, and it's called The Clickbait Gospel, and so we're going to find out all about it. I've been reading it, listening to it, and uh, it's really challenging. We're going to dive into that, but first I thought I'd toss it to you, Randy, because you're you're good friends with Kelton, so maybe you should uh, talk about how you, you know each other. Well, I appreciate it, Greg. And Kelton, it's great to be with you today. Kelton, I got a chance to get to know Kelton. It was kind of wild. Kelton and I go to the same church together, but actually um, it was when I was living out of town I really started to get to know Kelton. I think that Kelton was so kind, and he... Uh, actually came, I was living uh, out in Medina County, and my house was up for sale, and I was doing a ton of painting and different stuff to get the house ready. And yeah, well, I wasn't just me, Kelton, because you came many times to my home and helped me, and I was very, very grateful for that. Um, You helped make that possible. And so, uh, yeah, I just really want to say I appreciate your hard work and the help for me, Kelton, and Kelton um, has been a teacher in Cleveland Public Schools and still a teacher in the state of Ohio. But um, when Kelton sent me the book, I was very excited to read it. And I have one chapter to go, so I'm almost done. But Kelton, thank you. And I'm excited to hear how you came to the decision to write the book. And and But I appreciate the book, and it's, it's really been outstanding. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, that's really kind of you. And uh, Greg, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, because this is your first book. So I'm guessing you're not like a Christian author. So just a little <laughs> bit more about your background, your family and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was actually headed towards engineering out of high school. I went to um Lorraine County Community College for all my high school years and had a lot of calculus and a lot of math classes behind me. And I really thought that I was going to go into engineering. And then in my high school year, uh, the Lord just kind of laid it on my heart to go into ministry. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I actually started pursuing ministry. I got a degree with Liberty University in religious studies. And I was in the process of going down to Liberty physically in person um, for a master's in ministry. And in that time, the Lord kind of moved some things around. My wife and I started getting serious. She was from, you know, um, the Ohio area where I'm Cleveland. And so, um, and then also Liberty somehow I had one more class to take for my bachelor's and I did not know this. They had not communicated it. So I had walked, I had done everything. They had said I'd graduated and then they turn around and say, you have one more class. And so everything just kind of changed. And so what I realized was I wasn't going to be able to go into ministry at that time. So I switched gears. 
Uh, I pursued a, a separate degree in teaching and in mathematics. And so I've been a high school math teacher since 2014. Um, this is my ninth year. Uh, my wife and I also got married in 2014. And we're blessed with two little girls. They're, uh, they're going to be having their birthdays here. So six and seven years old. Uh, one's adopted. And uh, we're just really blessed. Uh, we Both me and my wife are teachers. Um, but we've served in various ministries uh, throughout the years. And uh, I've just kind of felt um, a sort of a, a call in, in a way, a, a leading, I would say, more so um, towards different types of ministries in the future and things that I would like to pursue. And so Clickbait Gospel is just one of my books that I'm planning to write. I've got some other ones in the works. Um, but Clickbait Gospel is, you know, the first book of hopefully a few um, that really kind of solidifies my beliefs and hopefully is impactful and encouraging to other people um, as they consider what does it mean to be a follower of Christ that is truly loving God and loving others and, and is so different from the world. That's what we're called to be is different um, in a good way for Christ um, that we're impacting our neighborhoods, our local communities um, for God. And, and so our love should be so much different from the world. So let's back up and talk about, I, I love the title, Clickbait Gospel. And by the way, there's a website, www.clickbaitgospel.com, where you can purchase the book or find it on Kindle. You can search it on Amazon. Um, did you come up with the title first or did the did, did the content of the book come first? And, and to just tell us the yeah. story of how the whole book came about. Because from what I understand, you wrote it in a very short period of time. I, I did. I wrote it very quickly, um, which is kind of dangerous to say because somebody will be like, well, he didn't take a lot of time to write it. It must not be that great. Right. But I, I think contrary to that you know, perspective, uh, I think God really laid it on my heart. And when I read it, I'm I'm impacted by what I wrote. Um, and I, I know that God worked through me to write it. So the the ideas and the concepts in clickbait have been around for years in my head. I've been thinking about it. I've had conversations with people where I just didn't feel like their approach to grace and then the results of grace were quite um, lined up with what I was seeing in the Bible. And it also was an ongoing conversation in my own heart about what does it mean to be a believer and then um, live that out in, in such a different way. And so, um, part of what you'll read in the book is actually a little bit about my own life. Um, I considered myself a Christian until I was about 18, 19 years old. And then God just hit me like a train. I remember being at my parents' house. I remember being on the front porch. I just read a section of Hebrews and it just hit me like a freight train. And I really questioned whether or not I was saved. And, um, through a couple pastors, um, I was, um, I was, reconciled and I was brought back to where I should be. And I truly believe it was in that time that I truly became a Christian. And I think up until that time, I was living kind of a double life where I had, you know, as a kid, I'd said I had believed in God, but I really wasn't living a, a biblically healthy, obedient life to God until then. And even since then, I've struggled with things. So don't get me wrong, I'm not a perfect person. Um, but I, the, the, the title clickbait, I actually don't remember what, what brought that title to mind. Um, but 
I know that I had a conversation with my dad about things that were kind of clickbaity and that he was really annoyed with like, you know, going on websites and going on the news feeds and like he would click on something because it looked interesting and then it was nothing at all related to the title. And so I, I know that that is an aspect of the book that, you know, people are buying into washed down versions of the gospel, thinking that they're actually the true gospel. And then as a result, we're getting we're getting really sad and um, confused by the lack of change in our lives. We expect this new gospel that's actually a clickbait version of the gospel to be impactful and change us and make us joyful and peace-filled and all these things. And in fact, it's just leaving us kind of the same as we were before, if not worse. And so um, that's kind of where the, the book is headed is, you know, reevaluating what kind of what kind of view do you have on the gospel? Because I believe, you know, everything in the Christian life really comes back down to your belief in God, your view of God, and then your view of the gospel. Right in chapter one, you have this quote from Augustine, and it's a it's a yeah. great quote. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. You know, you you talk about this this book kind of hinges on two passages of scripture. Can let's let's yes. discuss that. What are those passages, and why are they why were they so foundational to the book? Yeah. So the first passage is Luke six, and that's really where Christ is. In in a lot of ways, he's launching his ministry. He's got his disciples, which he then condenses down to the twelve which I, I point out in the book, it's just remarkable that Judas is one of the 12. I, I, it's just mind-blowing that he would be so gracious and so in God's, you know, aligned with God's will that he would choose this man who would betray him and cause so much pain to him and yet fulfill some of the, the, the parts of the gospel, right? So Luke 6, Jesus is launching his ministry he builds into the Beatitudes, which we're all very familiar with, which is almost kind of troubling because we're familiar with it, and yet we miss so much of what's in it. And then he he builds to what I think is a climax in verse, I believe it's 46, where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And that, that, that use of the word Lord, Lord twice, um, R.C. Sproul points out in the book Holiness of God, um, that when you repeat a word like that twice, it, it resembles um, uh, a closeness with the person. And so the people are saying, you know, Christ is saying, why do you consider me so close to you? Why do you consider me such a, a valuable person that you'd even call me Lord, Lord, and yet you're not doing what I say? And so th that's really where um, the, the, the book kind of um, starts. And then another really key passage is in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 29. And that's in the parable of the talents. And so um, there were some experiences recently that brought my attention to um, this in its parallel um, story. And so um, I was looking at it and it just kind of struck, struck me that, you know, the first two people in the parable, the, the master, the, the owner, really understands that they're going to be able to turn a profit. And so he gives them things to invest. And then this third character, he, he kind of doesn't expect as much from him because he doesn't give him as much, but he still invests and he expects him to do something. And instead of respecting and fearing 
the master, the investor, this wicked servant, we're told, he doesn't do anything at all. And so what we learn through this passage is a hard truth that if we're given things by the Lord, if he entrusts us with things, we have the obligation. And it's not, it's not simply a choice. It's, it's more of a requirement. If you read the parable with blinders, you know, your eyes wide open, it's more of a requirement for us as a result of faith, not, not, not replacing grace, right? It's by grace alone that we're saved. But as a result of this faith, this fundamentally revolutionary faith in Christ, that we are as a result going to live out and be different from the world. Because if we don't, if we don't show it, then what we're, we're basically saying is that um, we, we have our own opinions and our own ways to live life, and we're not going to actually follow Christ, which is a very dangerous path to head down. One of the words <clears throat> that I've really thought about a lot in relation to the gospel and, and with your book as well, Kelton, um, is the word surrender. And I think it's a word that we don't talk about enough. Um, a number of years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, I got in my car and turned on the car. It was on a Christian <clears throat> radio station. And I think it was Louis Palau they were talking to, but I caught the caught it in the middle, so I couldn't really tell you for sure. <clears throat> but they said, how, what word would you use to describe the American church? And they said, committed. And the, and the uh, person doing the interview said, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? He goes, well, you would think it is. But that buzzword replaced another word, and that word used to be surrendered. And he said, in America today, if you're committed to something, if you don't like your marriage, you get out. If you don't like your job, you quit. Um, it, you know, we're teaching kids, if you don't like that sports team, you quit. Like, we, we just, uh, our commitments aren't what they were. You know, you make a New Year's resolution and it lasts a couple of weeks. And so he said, but surrender, when, uh, for example, the South surrendered, uh, when Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, he basically said, do to me as you will. I, I'm, you know, I quit fighting. And I think what a great illustration for us with God. And I think it's a, some ways what your book is about, but that I surrender. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm going to do it your way, God, and not yeah. uh, try to do it. My way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of um, I would I would even say like an active surrender. It's um, it's surrendering to the spirit and then moving with the spirit and that power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I've been digesting your book, one of the things I I see is your heart that so many people they think they know the gospel, they think they've received the gospel, but their lives haven't changed, and that's that's deeply concerning. And it seems like that's one of the reasons you wrote this book. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I reflected on it, it just speaks to the brilliance of Jesus and how he talks through parables and the way that he interacted with people, that he would challenge people so strongly. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's accessible to everybody. So everybody who seeks him, they can learn from him. They can grow through him, but you never exhaust the depth of Jesus, right? There's always more to learn from him. When you think about the gospel, 
do you have any like favorite quotes from different authors about how they define the gospel? Yeah, well, you know, I found this one about living it out by Max Lucado, and this is a recent find of mine, and I, I really love it. And he says, for years I thought my assignment or the church's assignment was to articulate the gospel and nothing more. Now I believe that if we don't support the verbal expression of the gospel with physical demonstrations of compassion, we're not imitating Jesus. And I just think that is just so much along the lines of what you know is in the book about compassion and forgiveness of Jesus, you know, demonstrating that to people. Jesus did not take the spiritual aspect of the person and separate it from the physical and the emotional. He dealt with the entire person. And when you look at Jesus, you can't help but see the compassion and love of Jesus flowing out to everybody he met. He was even gracious to the Pharisees on many occasions, although of course we know he was very tough on them because he needed to be tough on them. Um, but I think Max Lucado has a very insightful thought here that, you know, if we're not showing the love of Christ in tangible ways that people can see and feel, then we really aren't loving the way that Jesus has um, instructed us to love. That is so true. Uh, another way to think about it uh, that has impacted me is we want to share the good news with people. We want to share the good news of the gospel. So that means that people need to see us as good news. Um, right. When we walk into a room, they need to see us as good news. Well, the only way for them to see us as good news is if the good news has changed our lives. And so if we're not changed by the good news of the gospel, if our lives aren't changed, and then people won't see Christ in us. They won't see us as good news, and we're not going to be as effective to share the good news. So um, it's... Uh, it, it it's along those same the, those same lines. I think one of the issues, you guys, though, is is how we present the gospel. That if we present the gospel as just a, a series of uh, intellectual or theological points that people have to agree with, mm -hmm. all we're asking for them is intellectual assent. If they agree to this, well, then you're in. You're, you're in, you're part of it. And and um, we want to count the number of people that proclaim Christ and present it instead of in, instead of really sharing um, the, the idea that it's really God is calling for our lives. You know, he's asking for all of us. And um, he's not asking mm -hmm. us just to give uh, an intellectual assent and say, yes, I agree with what those points are. He's asking us to to live out the gospel with him, to allow him to live through us. And um, we, like we said earlier, we surrender and, and, um, and the issue of lordship. But so many times I think the issue is the way we present the message and we're presenting it like, okay, if you agree with these four points, well, you're in. And um, right. Right. I, I think sometimes the issues, uh, not the person hearing it as much as those presenting it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because C.S. Lewis says there's three types of people, right? There's the people who don't care about the, the, the law and the um, expectations of God, basically. And then there's another group of people who are very concerned about what God wants and are busy, like keeping score. 
And then there's a third group of people that we should aspire to be, which have died to self and they no longer keep track of the score and they live it all for Christ. And that is the group that you really want to be in because like you're saying, Randy, it's the whole person. And also like you're saying, Greg, it's the fulfilling like fullness of God in your life. And so you want to be that person who paradoxically dies to self and finds life in Christ. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.